June 30th, 1971. On the moon. Dave and Jim, uh, pull the rover as far out as you can away from the limb and then pull on the front end if you could. Astronauts Dave Scott and Jim Irwin are unfurling the first lunar rover. Getting ready to take it for a test drive. Dave, just let me know before you drive. Yeah. Uh, Dave, we're standing by for you to drive away and monitor amps on the amps on battery two, please. Okay, we'll do. Okay, 15 volt DC is going to secondary. Steering forward bus A, rear to bus D. Two's out on us. We'll have no rear steering or no rear drive. Just be advised. Okay. Got a detent. We're moving. Extraordinary. on Earth in the dead of summer, there's not much on TV. By this point, American TV networks don't even think that the moon landings merit wall-to-wall -wall coverage anymore. With the near catastrophe of Apollo 13 now a distant memory, all of 15 months in the past, walking on the moon was once again old hat. But to me, it seems like a perfectly good reason for a retrogram. Retrogram. Revisiting TV futures from the past. An examination of yesteryear's television science fiction, fantasy, spy-fi, horror, and superhero shows. Commencing Retrogram. Retrogram number 7130 and 7131, Apollo 15, Part 2, the weeks of July 25th and August 1st, 1971. This is a supplement to retrogram number 7129. Welcome to Retrogram, the podcast that picks one week between the beginning of 1970 and the end of 1990, watches all of the sci-fi, superhero, horror, and fantasy shows that week, and reports back to you, the listener. Except the weeks of July 25th and August 1st, 1971, only had one show each. Two episodes of the same show, in fact. 
And that's why Retrogram is a pair of Retrogram orphans this time around. Previously, we covered the week of July 18, 1971, where we found an episode of Jerry Anderson's UFO and the second season premiere of Ace of Wands. But that was the last episode of UFO for nearly a year. The two remaining episodes wouldn't be aired until early 1973. So, just to make sure you're not left dangling, let's unorphan those two episodes of Ace of Wands. Episodes that just happened to air as Apollo 15 was on its way to the moon and as it was on its way home. Ace of Wands, Season 2, Episode 2, Seven Serpents, Sulphur, and Salt, Episode 2, aired Wednesday, July 28, 1971, on Thames Television in the UK. The story so far. Taro is an enigmatic stage magician plying his trade for appreciative audiences with the help of his assistant Luli, with whom he shares a kind of telepathic bond, and Sam, his rough-and-ready one-man stage crew and prop department. Tarot's friend, antique bookseller Mr. Sweet, is the point of contact for anyone who wants to reach Tarot. You see, as a master illusionist, Tarot has a keen insight into what's possible and what's impossible. When he's not performing magic on stage, he takes on cases and solves mysteries, the kind that have either left the police baffled or are so strange, possibly even supernatural, that no one has even called the police for fear that no one will believe them. Tarot's cases are sometimes dangerous, involving rival magicians, wannabe wizards, and practitioners of black magic. But if there's one thing Tarot won't stand still for, it's allowing innocent people to be preyed upon by anyone wielding such powers. In part one, a piece of paper cut into a seventh of a circle with a serpent drawn on it, wound up in the hands of Tarot and his friends, left behind by a man who was trying to get a message to Mr. Sweet. That message was never delivered. The man was tracked down and killed by Luco, a little man who seems to have extraordinary powers of his own. But the real power lies with Luco's boss, the even more sinister magician, Mr. Stabs. Now that Stabs and Luco have encountered Tarot with Luli and Sam, they know that they have a problem to be dealt with. Meanwhile, at Tarot's apartment, an exorcism is taking place, one that seems to have turned that serpent drawn on paper into the real deal and a terrified Luli has stepped out of the chalk circle drawn on the floor to protect her. Seven Serpents, Sulphur and Salt, Episode 2 The moment Luli steps out of the circle, the snake disappears, the light dims, and a dazed Luli takes off, heading for the stairs to the roof of the building. When Sam, Taro, Mr. Sweet, and Mr. Possel catch up with her, she's saying something about Kilda, the bird spirit, and she needs to fly. Off the edge of the building, that is. Taro tries to keep her talking so Sam can get her away from the edge, but she falls, just as Sam and Taro get hold of her arms. With the help of the two older men, they drag Luli back up to the roof. This flight has been cancelled. Close one there. The paper now seems to be missing. 
Mr. Postle is convinced that it was part of a 600-year-old map leading to a formula for turning base metals into gold, a map to unlimited wealth and power. If Mr. Stabs is killing to find this one-seventh of the circular map, it's probably the only piece of the map he doesn't already have. The pieces of the map were believed to be in the hands of seven powerful practitioners of magic, the most powerful magicians in the world. If Taro was able to resist Stabs and save Luli, he might have the same level of magical power. Taro doesn't wish to speculate, however. There's much to be done. Mr. Stabs agrees, and he's waiting to hear back from someone he has dispatched to find where Taro lives. He's waiting on Palandi, a woman with a shock of bright green hair, rings on every finger, and some serious disdain for Luko. I like her already. She's met Taro before, and she seems rather fond of him, but not fond enough to fail to track him down on behalf of a mortal enemy. Mr. Stabs is hoping Taro has equally fond memories of Palandi. In fact, he's betting on it. He utters another of his rhyming spells, and holy freaky Friday, even though this is only Wednesday, Stabs and Palandi have swapped bodies. Mr. Sweet and Mr. Possel are doing research at the bookstore, and Possel finds a mention of a powerful late 17th century practitioner of magic named Estabis. But if Estabis and Mr. Stabs are one and the same, this guy is over 200 years old. Tarot also has a lead on where to find Stabs. He remembers an odd smell from when Mr. Stabs appeared before, the smell of the embalming chemicals used by taxidermists. He and Sam leave Luli to keep an eye on Tarot's apartment, but she's not alone there for long. A woman with bright green hair walks in, claiming to be a reporter here to interview Tarot. Luli doesn't buy that for a minute, and Ozymandias the Owl isn't happy about the woman being here either. Suddenly, before you can say dude looks like a lady, the woman is now Mr. Stabs. Stabs wants to know where the paper is. Luli tells him it's gone, because Tarot resisted its power. But Mr. Stabs doesn't believe that for a second. If a man could resist that power, he's not even mortal. Stabs puts Luli under a spell that prevents her from lying, and she still says the paper is gone, but reveals that she did, after great effort, take a photo of it. Stabs takes the photo and then casts another spell on Luli, commanding her to poison Taro's coffee. Taro and Sam are conducting a self-guided tour of the taxidermists of Greater London, when Sam spots Luko ambling toward the next shop they're due to visit. Taro dons the disguise of a vicar and walks into the store to inquire about his recently deceased parrot. Beautiful bird, by the way. Lovely plumage. While Luca was confused about this line of questioning, Taro walks right into the back room of the shop, stabs inner sanctum, and has a look around, much to Luco's alarm. While Luca was trying to chase Taro out of the back room, Sam gets the jump on Luco, and they bound and gag Stab's minion. Taro finds where Stabs has the other six segments of the map, and he photographs them, both with and without an infrared filter. Then Taro puts them back where he found them, and he and Sam leave before Mr. Stabs can return. They go back to Taro's apartment, where Taro is eager to develop the film. Oh, and how nice, Luli's made him a cup of coffee. Bottoms up! To be continued. Palandi is played by Harriet Harper, an actress who also happened to be the third wife of director Nicholas Roeg. She appeared in Emergency Ward 10, The Alfred Hitchcock Hour, Cousin Bet, and NBC's late 60s attempt to recreate The Twilight Zone, an anthology called An NBC Experiment in Television. On the big screen, she's appeared in Far From the Madding Crowd and the 1970 film The Virgin and the Gypsy, 
which also featured future Ace of Wands series regular Roy Holder. Mr. Charlie Postle, a church verger with an unusual amount of what one might think would be forbidden knowledge, was played by Jack Woolgar. Jack had been on television in the UK since the 1950s, with appearances in Here's Harry, The Avengers, The Saint, and he was Staff Sergeant Arnold in the all-time classic 1968 Doctor Who story, The Web of Fear, the same story that introduced one Alistair Lethbridge-Stewart before he was promoted to brigadier. He made numerous appearances later in Crossroads, a series he was in up until his death in 1978. We're saying goodbye to both Harriet Harper and Jack Wilgar here, since both of them only appeared in parts one and two of the story. There's a really interesting exchange in Mr. Stab's taxidermy shop just before Sam and Taro tell Luco to get stuffed. Okay, sorry, poor choice of words there. Taro, in his full vicar get-up, tells Luco he's here to ask about Moses, which he later claims is his parrot, no longer pining, but passed on. But before Luco has that piece of information, he's just trying to get rid of the vicar. You're wasting your time. We're both atheists. You're not going to save me. Now, understand, I've never lived in the UK. I wasn't there in 1971, and a little confession here, actually, I wasn't anywhere in 1971. So I'm coming at this from the perspective of a kid who grew up in the buckle of the American Bible Belt in the 1970s and 80s. But even then, this is an extraordinary line of dialogue to find in a show pitched toward an audience of perhaps older children in the early 70s. I wonder if Trevor Preston got any pushback on that from the studio. Then again, perhaps it isn't that extraordinary. Luco is one of the villains of the piece, so of course he's allowed to claim he's an atheist. I bet neither Taro nor his friends or allies would ever be allowed to make any such claim on screen. That aside, however, I'm always amused and amazed at how frequently black magic and the occult figure into children's programming from the UK from this period, often resulting in storytelling that's just delightfully creepy for any age group and shows that would probably make the uptightly devout break out in a cold sweat on this side of the Atlantic, then or now. I love it. As with part one of this story, due to the fact that videotape was expensive in the early 70s, and due to the fact that nobody anywhere had any idea that there would ever be such a thing as a home video market hungry for older material to release, parts two and three are both missing, presumed to have been erased long ago, so the tape could be reused. British broadcasters did frequently export television programming to other countries, so it's possible that this three-part story may turn up someday. But for now, we have very poor quality audio recordings and, in just a few cases, the original scripts. That being said, let's waste no time in jumping ahead a week. Apollo 15 has landed on the moon. Dave Scott and Jim Irwin have covered a lot of ground in the first lunar rover, and after collecting copious samples of moon rocks, including a truly ancient specimen known as the Genesis rock. They've now blasted off and are coasting home. While they're on their way, we've got time to finish this story.
Ace of Wands, Season 2, Episode 3, Seven Serpents, Sulfur, and Salt. Episode 3, aired Wednesday, August 4th, 1971, on Thames Television in the UK. Tarot is a man of rare gifts, a practitioner of powerful magic, writer of wrongs, champion of justice, coffee achiever. That last bit would be the end of him, except he's also a man with very suspicious friends. Sam chucks a pillow at Taro, causing him to spill the coffee. Sam could swear he saw Luli spike Taro's coffee with something. Taro makes telepathic contact with Luli, finds that Stabs has been here, and is able to clear her of his influence. The one thing she does remember? Stabs has the photo of the missing piece of paper. Time's running out to decipher the map. It leads to a graveyard with a well. Sam starts lowering himself into the well, with Luli keeping an eye on the rope, as Taro and Mr. Sweet find a rock with an ancient symbol, under which is an extremely venomous snake guarding a ring. Sam finds a golden triangle down the well, and then Taro and friends regroup at the ruins of an ancient castle nearby, one with an altar that seems like it's perfectly carved to accommodate both the ring and the triangle. There's just one problem. Stabs and Luko are already here. They've been watching Team Taro do the heavy lifting, but now they want the relics, the ones that could grant Stabs total power. Taro tests the waters and calls Mr. Stabs by the other name Mr. Sweet mentioned to him, Estabis, and it definitely touches a nerve. Though the hand of Stabs shackles Taro and his friends to the castle walls, Taro escapes because he's not just a magician, but an escapologist. He's also a changed man, though. He's got a pair of gloves, just like Stabs, and suddenly starts talking about being part of the same brotherhood as Stabs. And he doesn't seem to care if his friends live or die. He just wants to share in the prize that Mr. Stabs is about to receive. Or does he? Throwing his voice, Taro convinces Stabs that he has in fact awakened a very angry immortal being. Stabs and Luko can't get out of town fast enough. Stabs casts a spell to help them escape, and all that's left of him is his gloves. Taro seems satisfied that there will be no further trouble from Mr. Stabs. Let's go home. Back at Taro's place, Sam tries on Mr. Stabs' gloves, and just for fun, tries to cast a spell of his own on Ozymandias the Owl. Hand of Maxted, turn this owl into a more domestic fowl. Very funny, Sam. Until the next sound to come out of Ozzy's beak is the sound of a rooster crowing. The End You know, whatever kind of bird Ozymandias is now... I bet he's still going to crap on Sam's car. A good chunk of the episode, a good chunk of episode three here, is taken up with a montage of both parties racing toward the graveyard, Taro and friends in one car, and Stabs and Luko in a chauffeured car, just in case you're wondering why it all seemed to happen so fast. One defining feature of Ace of Wands in episodes both missing and preserved is that Taro is not only the great magician, but the great debunker. Dramatic lightning and thunder herald Mr. Stab's apparent victory at the castle ruins, but only because a storm was already building up, and Taro knew that. It's truly odd that while Taro will often pull back the curtain on whoever he's fighting, revealing how they're pulling off whatever they're doing, sometimes whatever they're doing still hinges on magic as a real thing, and of course Taro's ESP link with Luli is still treated as a real thing too. It's an interesting mishmash of debunking and simultaneously embracing pseudoscience. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around sometimes. What's also interesting here is that hints keep getting dropped that Taro is much more than he may seem. He may not be mortal. 
He may not be as young as he looks. He may be more powerful than he lets on. It reminds me of the last days of classic Doctor Who, in which the 1988 and 89 seasons seemed to be trying to deliberately dispel some of that show's long-standing mythology by suggesting that there was more to the Doctor than just being a Time Lord. Where Ace of Wands is concerned, however, this idea apparently wasn't fleshed out any further than this. Perhaps it was something that was being put on a shelf until a rematch with Mr. Stabs could be written and filmed, but that never happened. And given the major cast changes that hit between seasons two and three, a lot of backpedaling and recapping and info dumping would have had to take place if there ever had been a rematch with Mr. Stabs. As I mentioned in Retrogram number 7129, Mr. Stabs would return, minus Tarot or any other element of Ace of Wands, along with Luko in a one-off 1975 episode of the children's anthology series Shadows. That episode recast Luko, but brought Russell Hunter back as Mr. Stabs, still using his magic for evil ends, and, again, not managing to do it very well. So there you have it, a couple of retrogram orphans brought in from the cold. I just didn't think it was fair to tell only the first part of the story and then neglect to finish it. Oh, and one last Ace of Wands treat for you. As I mentioned before, the show's theme song was released as a rather successful single by Andrew Bowen before he became the full-time keyboardist for Status Quo. But what about the B-side to that single? It was a piece of music that was either inspired by or actually used in the first season of Ace of Wands. It's a two-minute instrumental called Luli Rides Again, and it's pretty hard to find if you haven't tracked down that single. So here it is. There you have it, Luli Rides Again, and there you have the complete story of Seven Serpents, Sulphur, and Salt. 
Join us again next time as we travel back in prime time once more. The Retrogram Podcast was researched, written, and hosted by Earl Green. The show's theme music was composed and performed by Jazar and licensed under Creative Commons. You can also find his work at freemusicarchive.org. Free Music Archive is also home to lots of other great music. Additional music in this episode was by Andrew Howes and DZ, also licensed under Creative Commons. Apollo 15 archival audio originated from NASA's Apollo 15 Lunar Surface Journal page. A huge thanks to the Logbook.com's Patreon supporters. I'm pretty sure they'd go to the moon and back to keep the site and its various podcasts and videocasts around. If you'd like show transcripts, extra patron-exclusive downloadable trading cards, and early show access, blast off to patreon.com slash thelogbook, just like Kevin and Darwin and Javier have done. And by the way, they got to hear this episode a few months before you did because they are thelogbook.com's patrons. You can also support the site by buying t-shirts and other goodies from our store at redbubble.com slash people slash thelogbook, or by ordering, well... Anything you like through our affiliate links at thelogbook.com slash store from places like Amazon and eBay. Retrogram is a production of thelogbook.com.